Hey, um, I know that you sometimes don't know everything that I'm involved in and what I am involved in and what I'm not involved in. And I just want to let you know that uh, because I trust them so much, that was the first time I had seen that video that set up that song that they wrote. And it was the first time I heard that song in all of its entirety. I had heard some bits and pieces. And um, I just want all the worship pastors of this church to know and the productions team to know um, how unbelievably grateful I am for them to take the title of my book and to write such an amazing song with the same title, Wrecked and Redeemed. So I just want to honor the worship pastors of this church. That's unbelievable. Redeemed by his love and God seeking us. Hey, I'm so glad you're here today. Um, one more time, I know you've done a lot of clapping so far, but we're a clapping church. I've never said that before. We're a clapping church. Can you just celebrate and welcome all the campuses at all of our campus locations? A lot of you have been asking how it went this week. Some of you weren't here on uh, last Sunday because you let that little hour of sleep that we lost jack you all up. Um, but if you were here, you know that uh, I shared with the, the church a little hesitantly. Um, I, I'm not good talking about these kinds of things, but, but just how honored I was and excited I was to be on Life Today in Dallas, Fort Worth with this lovely, amazing couple, James and Betty Robinson. I was with them on Tuesday night. I was a little nervous, largest crowd I've ever spoken to. Um, they've reached before a crowd of a billion people internationally, but they're always in the millions. And I was just so thankful for your prayers. A lot of you asked how it went. It went incredibly well. I felt like I was just in a living room setting, talking with James and Betty as they asked me questions about the book, Wrecked and Redeemed. Thank you for your prayer cover. I felt it. And uh, again, a lot of you have been asking, when is that going to air? And here it is. It's going to air on Tuesday, April 30th. Tuesday, April 30th. That's your story. And it's my story together on Life Today, and we get Life Today in this area. Life Today is all over the world, and every it's the largest syndicated Christian broadcast out there. And so uh, Tuesday, April thirtieth, you can check that out. Hey, I got a, I got a question for you. How many of you How many of you played hide and seek when you were kids? Show of hands. Show of hands. Oh my lord, that's all of us. It's kind of a universal thing. All right, here's another question. How many of you enjoyed hiding the best over seeking? How many of you you liked the hiding part? Show of hands. Oh, that's interesting. How many of you liked being the one who was seeking out, trying to find those who were hiding? Show of hands. Yeah, so more of you like to actually hide. Let me talk to you a little bit more of that as I show you the little house that I grew up in. Check it out. This was the home in which I was raised. And this was the place 
where many times we would play hide and seek inside the house, in the backyard, hiding in these trees and hiding in this neighborhood. You know, as I think back on those times as a child, I'm not quite sure what was more enjoyable, trying to actually find the very best hiding place or actually waiting with anticipation of that moment when you were actually found. I have come to believe that we might like to hide, but we also love to be found. But the whole concept of this particular chapter is that God is a seeker. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. We tend to think about people being seekers. In fact, in the early 80s, the contemporary church arrived on the scene by crafting church and crafting worship celebrations with a seeker-sensitive model. You might have heard of this before. And there is no doubt that human beings seek after God. Most of you know my story. For many, many years, I was way in the far country. My life was wrecked with drug addiction and violence and abuse. And I was trying to fill this God-shaped vacuum inside my soul. Pascal would say it was a God-shaped vacuum that only Christ Jesus could fill. But I was seeking after God. And it wasn't until October 23rd, 1988, when God came in and saved me that I actually was content and realized that I was actually seeking all of those years for God and for love and for forgiveness and purpose in all the wrong places. So make no mistake about it. Human beings always have sought after God. But John 4 comes along and we actually find this interesting passage that gives us an inside glimpse, if you will, into the heart and the character of God. And the truth is, God is a seeker. Ours is a God who seeks after humanity. I'm not by any means suggesting that God doesn't know where people are. He is sovereign, he is all knowing. But make no mistake about it, it is clear in scripture that ours is a God who seeks a personal relationship with all people, regardless of anything. In fact, the entire message of Christmas, Emmanuel, God sending Jesus, was the fact that God was embarking upon a life-saving, sin-forgiving relationship with his creation. He is a seeker. In the words of the old African-American traditional church, they used to put it like this, God is like the hound of heaven, always pursuing, always seeking a relationship with people. And so the truth is it actually forces a question upon you and upon me. Will there be anyone in heaven because you lived on planet Earth? You see, the fact that God is seeking after people is a reminder to all of us that God longs to use us to introduce people to his son, Jesus Christ. I would not be where I am today looking into this camera and, and engaging you in this very moment, nor would I be leading New Hope Church if a chaplain by the name of Chaplain Jones 
didn't understand this concept and understand that God was seeking a relationship with me in that jail cell and he took the time to love me and he took the time to invest in me and he took the time to introduce to me this seeking God. And so I must ask you this question again. Will there be anyone in heaven because you have lived on planet Earth? It's a great question for us to consider as we continue in this series, Wrecked and Redeemed. Because the reality is all people matter to God. Therefore, they matter to us. In other words, you will never lock eyes and see a human being anywhere on planet Earth for whom God did not send his son Jesus and for whom Jesus did not live and die on a cross and be raised to new life so that they could have a relationship with him. And so that really is the call of the church, to follow this God wherever he sends us so that more and more people might experience what you have experienced and what I have experienced through the glorious gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I, um, I tell a story in the book. I'm not gonna share all the details now, but I tell a story. Hide and seek is a universal game, right? And so my kids, um, when they were young, they played hide and seek in our house as well. And uh, you know, I got twin boys, and uh, one of them, his name is Wesley Jacob. He is now a junior at the Citadel, the military college in Charleston. And, uh, but he's always lived into his name, Wesley Jacob. If you know the Bible, the, Bible, the word Jacob means trickster. And so Wesley was always a trickster. He was always a little mischievous. So my kids were playing hide and seek one day and Wesley was trying to find a place to hide and he literally crawled inside our dryer. <laughs> Benjamin and Wesley, his two old, our, our oldest ones, the little ones weren't even around yet, they were trying to find him and they never could find him until finally after about 10 minutes, they found him. Benjamin looked in the laundry room and saw that Wesley was in the dryer. But Benjamin decided not to tell Wesley right away that he knew. And so he ran and got his sister, Anna Grace. They ran back to the dryer and they reached up on top of the dryer. <laughs> yes, they did. Yes, they did. I love it. And they hit high heat, extra tumble cycle. It sounded like the corner of the house was going to come off of its foundation. Amy Lynn and I heard it. We came running to the rescue, and little old Wesley Jacob got out. His hair was standing up on his head. He was definitely dried, and he had this sweet aroma of those little downy dryer sheets, if you know what I'm saying. It was awesome. But I have titled this chapter... God as seeker. Say that with me. God as seeker. Open up your Bibles to John chapter 4, and let's go get this today. John chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 3. 
It's an amazing passage of scripture. Get your teaching notes out or your journal or your notebook, whatever it is that you're using these days. I just know a lot of you are really digging in and putting your thinking caps on. John chapter four, verse three through 10. So he left Judea, Jesus, and went back once more to Galilee. Now, if you're not missing a single Sunday, and I know a lot of you are really that engaged, and I hope all of you would be, you know that in John chapter two, Jesus attended a wedding, and he turned water to wine. That was in Cana of Galilee. So Jesus is going back to Galilee. Now, he had to go through, what's this word right here? Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. So John's telling this really interesting narrative. He's telling it well with a lot of detail for us. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? In other words, the Samaritan woman looks at Jesus and says, what are you talking about? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you what church? Living water. Notice that the disciples are away to get food. Jesus is on his own. He comes into contact with this Samaritan woman and Jesus wanted her to experience more than just H2O from a well. Jesus wanted her to experience living water. So as the conversation unfolds, very quickly it starts to sound like we are listening to a Jerry Springer episode. Not that any of us would watch Jerry Springer. Can I get an amen? But the dialogue unfolds and Jesus starts to bust her chops. And he's basically saying, hey, I know that you've had five husbands. And the one you're living with now is not your husband. He calls her out. She's exposed. The gig is up. And Jesus is shedding truth. But as you know, he's going to bring grace to the situation. Verse 21 and 23. It's a long passage, so I'm telling some and I'm skipping some large chunks. Let's go to verse 21. Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Jesus was a Jew. Don't ever forget that. For salvation comes from the Jews. Let's continue. Why don't we read this next part out loud at all of our campuses really strong like it's the word of the Lord. Here we go. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. 
for they are the kind of worshipers the Father, the Father what? The Father seeks. I've been walking with God now, or at least trying to, for about 30 years. And I gotta tell you that it wasn't that long ago. In fact, when I was writing this book, when I actually discovered in an epiphany kind of way that our God is a seeker. Our God seeks after people. He is on a hide and seek mission, if you will, and he is always seeking a relationship with people. That means that wherever you've been, and you've been to a lot of places, God has always been seeking after you. It doesn't matter if you're good or when you're bad. He doesn't put you on a naughty list. He always seeks after you. That tells me that when I dropped out of high school, God was seeking after me. When my parents got a divorce, God was searching for me. When I moved out at the age of 15, God was searching for me. And when I had my final run-in with the law, I was running from cops and all kinds of things. But I was running from a God who was searching after me. And God has been searching after you from day one. We've had this tendency in the contemporary church to use this kind of language when we get saved. I found the Lord. You've probably said that. Nothing wrong with that. It's not bad. But I tried to stop using that language about 10 years ago because I've come to realize I didn't find God. Come on now. You, you didn't find God. God found you. God, God found you because he was seeking after you from the moment he started to intricately form you in your mother's womb. He knows you by name, and he has been seeking after you all of that time. So it's far more accurate not to say, I found the Lord, but the Lord what? Found me. Now let me tell you a little bit about the context of the passage. It is difficult for me to overemphasize the hostility that existed between Jews and Samaritans. Stick with me here for a moment. Jesus and the religious leaders of the day, the Jews, could not stand the Samaritans. The animosity was so high, and it was an ethnic animosity. At the top of the animosity was an outright disdain for the Jews from the Samaritans and the Jews back to the Samaritans. It would be equivalent, if you will, between the hostility that has existed in America over the years, between Caucasians and African Americans. It's commensurate, if you will, between the tension between North Korea and South Korea, Russians and the Ukrainians, Kurds and Iraqis, and some, Lord forbid, today between Americans and Latinos trying to enter into the country. Even legally, there's tension there. Jews and Samaritans hated each other. 
And Jesus starts to head toward Galilee. He's where? He's in Jerusalem. Now listen to the geography of this. If you were trying to go from Jerusalem to Galilee, which way do you think you would go? Straight line. You learned this in geography, did you not? The shortest distance between two points is what? A straight line. So from here, you would, you would go up to Samaria. You'd keep going right up to the Nazareth Galilee area. The hostility was so intense between the Jews and the Samaritans. Let me show you how they went from Jerusalem to Galilee. They would actually cross over the Jordan River, take a hard right, then they would go hard north, straight up on the Jordan River, avoiding Samaria altogether. And then they would cross back over the Jordan River to the Nazareth, Galilee area. This was because the tension went all the way back to the fact that the Jews believed that the Samaritans were a mixed race. Resulting in, and listen to some of this language that I'm going to use because this fits for us today. Resulting in a mixed race that came as a result of intermarriages of Israelites that left behind the people of the northern kingdom who were exiled and the Gentiles who were brought into the land by the Assyrians. Not only was there skin color ethnic tension, there was theological tension as well. There was a theological opposition and racial tension between the northerners and the Jews of the south because of the Samaritan refusal, watch this, to worship God down here in Jerusalem. If you were a Jew, you didn't mess with the worship that happened in Jerusalem. The Samaritans opposed that. Moreover, check it out. This was all the more aggravated by the fact that after the Babylonian exile in 537 BC, as you know, the Samaritans put up obstacles in the way of Jewish restoration of Jerusalem. You can read about this if you want in the Old Testament. Jot this down. Ezra chapter 4. Old Testament, Ezra chapter 4. And the Samaritans had actually helped the Syrian monarchs in their war against the Jews. All of that is to say the tension was off the chart. No Jew in his right mind would go straight from here to Galilee. They would go here, here, and here. But Jesus <laughs> is different. Jesus said, I'm not going to embrace the cultural, ethnical, and theological tension. I'm not going to discard anyone. If I'm going from Jerusalem to Galilee, guess what Jesus says I'm going to do? I'm going to go straight up through Samaria. Now, don't miss this. This is no small gesture. And it would have been seen as socially unacceptable. It's fascinating to remember that Jesus was a Jew and yet he crossed into the enemy territory, Samaritan country. 
Notice he was intentional to engage the Samaritan woman on her turf in a dialogue. There is a big lesson in this alone. Don't miss this. When culture tells you to hate people, Jesus calls you to intentionally engage and love all people. Come on now. Come on. Knowing that context makes this nugget, circle this in your Bible, that makes this nugget all the more powerful. Sychar, Samaria. Now he, Jesus, what's this word, little word? Had to go through Samaria. No, he didn't. Jesus didn't have to do anything. Jesus is God. Jesus can go anywhere he wants to go. He walked on water. Jesus probably could have spread his wing with a big old S on his shirt, not for Superman, but for Savior, and probably could have flown. He didn't have to. This is John's way of making sure we understand that he was compelled to go there. Why? Listen, why? Because God is seeker. He seeks after people. And after the small talk about the deepness of the well, Jesus answered this. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What we will find in John's gospel as we continue this study is we will find seven I am sayings. And you'll also find the first one that we will get to very soon. I am the living water. He also says elsewhere in John's gospel, I am the bread of life. Jesus is letting us know, I'm just not someone who can actually give you living water. I am the living water. I am the bread of heaven. Jesus is not someone who can just fill your empty, hungering stomach. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the one who gives us all substance, physically and spiritually. Jesus sought out this Samaritan woman who was the marginalized, the worst of the people in his day. To add insult to injury, she was a woman. Women back then, unfortunately, were seen as second-class citizens. They didn't have any rights. Not only was she a Samaritan, the worst of the worst according to the Jews, not only was she a woman, she was living an immoral lifestyle. Again, right out of the Jerry Springer show. But Jesus, everybody say, but Jesus. But Jesus loved her enough to walk straight up to her, literally straight line, crushing all preconceived notions of what was racially, socially, ethnically, 
theologically and culturally acceptable. He loved her. Now, you want to know what's fascinating? If you were here last week, you know that we studied an encounter between Jesus and a dude by the name of, bless me church, name what? Nicodemus. Once you start to understand John's gospel, you will start to be able to connect a lot of dots in the gospel. And maybe you've never done a comparison or a contrast between Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. Watch this. It's fascinating. The Samaritan woman and Nicodemus. She is a Samaritan, a Gentile woman. He is a Jewish man. I've already spoken about that animosity in those relationships. She is marginalized even by her own people. Nicodemus is included amongst Israel's most elite. She is marginalized by Jews. He is a Jew of Jews. Remember, he was in the ruling council as we talked about last week. There's so much more. Watch this. She is one of the worst of women. He is the ideal of men. She is a despised sinner. He is a prominent rabbi. She was sought out by Jesus in the heat of the day. Remember what old Nick did? Remember? Nick at night. He sought out Jesus at night. Do you see it? Do, do you see it, church? They were different in every possible way. And yet Jesus encounters each of them and they both have their deepest needs met in and through Jesus Christ. The Samaritan woman on one side and Nicodemus on the other, they are on opposite ends of the spectrum. Thus in some mysterious way, listen, listen, listen. They encompass us all. You, wherever you are, fall somewhere in between this spectrum. I think there's a theological point in that. You fall in this scope, in this scale of God's love. How does the Samaritan woman respond? She is radically transformed radically and totally transformed by the power of the gospel. She is converted and in her joyous conversion, and I gotta tell you, I just learned this for the very first time this week. I'm so upset that I never realized this before. If I had realized before what I'm about to tell you right now, it would have made it in the daggum book. She encounters Jesus, or better put, Jesus encounters her. Follow me. She's transformed by the gospel. She's converted, and she's so radically transformed and obsessed and consumed with this Jesus who broke all these barriers and loved her that she left her jar. I've never noticed that till this very moment. This is what I studied, and it hit me, guys. And I'm like, oh, Lord, why didn't you show me that a few years ago? Watch this. Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, 
come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and they made their way toward him. Listen, church, this precious woman who was shunned by so many, like me and I think like some of you had a head-on collision with Jesus Christ. She was wrecked by the love of Almighty God that she left her jar. She left the very thing that would give her the water that would save her and her community. She left the very thing that brought her to the well in the first place. She left it to go live on mission for God. As I've said before, maybe you haven't heard me say this before, found people find people. All right. Say it with me at all of our locations. Ready? Found people find people. One more time. Found people find people. She left her jar. And it causes me to ask you this question. What are you willing to leave to serve Jesus? What are you willing to leave to serve Jesus? Another question might be, have you ever left anything to serve Jesus? Have you ever given up anything Time, treasure, talent to serve Jesus Christ. I asked a question in the very first video. Remember my house that I grew up in? I asked you this question Will there be anyone in heaven because you lived on planet Earth? I want to intentionally just let that question hover over all of our campuses and even those of you who are online. Will there be anyone in heaven because you lived on planet Earth? And New Hope Church, we have always tried to embrace a twofold strategy for reach, teach, and release. The vision of our church is, say it with me, reach, teach, and release. One more time, reach, teach, and release. We've always tried to embrace a twofold, biblically-based strategy to reach, teach, and release. I want to give that to you now in hopes that those of you who are sitting there, when I ask you that question, have you ever left anything to follow Jesus? And I backed it up with, will anyone be in heaven because you lived on planet earth? For those of you who are sitting there going, oh snap, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't think so. I wanna give you an opportunity, a biblically based opportunity for you to actually 
Live your life. Come on, like the Samaritan woman. Life on point. Life on mission. This woman left her jar and went back to Samaria, to, to Sychar, to the Samaria area, to her village. And we know that salvation is starting to happen. She literally was the first missionary to the Gentile community that we know about. Don't you want to join her? Don't you want to join her in living your life on mission, on point? So that when you get to heaven, there are going to be people in heaven because you lived your life. Don't you want to do that? Here it is. It's not as complicated as maybe some pastors have convinced you it is. Invest and invite. Say it with me. Invest and invite. One more time. Invest and invite. Who's on your invest and invite list? Here's what I mean by that. Who do you know? Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a colleague that works in a cubicle beside you. Maybe it's a family member. Who is it? And there should be several names, but man, if we could all just have one, it would be awesome. Who is on your invest and invite list where you are investing in the relationship and you're inviting them to a New Hope campus? Not every time you see them. <laughs> but you're in tune with the Spirit. And as the Spirit of God moves, you're inviting them to a new hope environment. Or if you can do this, some of you can, but studies tell us it's a small number. Or you just invite them to receive Christ right where you are. Now I know that freaks some of you out. Your, your heart just started beating quick just by the thought of it. But we've intentionally created a church, stick with me, so that you can invite anybody to this church. Listen, if you can't invite somebody to a new hope campus, there's something wrong, not with the campus, but with you. Why? Because they're going to show up. Help me out. What are they going to experience when they show up at a campus? Love. What else? Joy. What else? Campuses. I can't hear you, but you can say it too. What? Excitement. Jo hope. Oh my Lord. They're going to experience hope. Judgment. No. Acceptance. Truth. Grace. Good coffee. Do you see what I'm saying? See, see, see. Like we have intentionally created a church where you can invite anyone. When's the last time you invited someone? I'm intentionally inserting tension in the room. So the first thing we have to always do is we have to care for people, for their souls. We have to invest and invite them. And the reason, by the way, earlier in our worship celebrations, we gave you all of our Easter times at all of our campuses. You know why we did that? Because there's no greater invite Sunday, come on, than Easter Sunday. Can I get an amen? It's the resurrection. It's victory. It's life over death. It is Jesus coming and saving and redeeming. So we're just like a little over a month away. 
Who's on your list? Who are you pouring into? Who are you dropping by? Maybe a dinner or something, or you're taking somebody out to lunch and you're having coffee with them or whatever the case may be. And you're just dropping seeds between now and Easter. We should invite them any Sunday and every Sunday. But oh my Lord, with Easter coming right around the corner, who's on your invest and invite list? Let's follow the example of the Samaritan. Here's the second thing. Serve as a world changer in Jesus's church. Now, those of you who've been around here and you're always keenly dialed in, that's new language. World changer. We used to call people who served here at the church volunteers. How stinking boring. I'm a volunteer. No, you're not. You're a world changer. Can I get an amen? Come on now. So we, we've told, yeah, yeah. Clap for the world changers at New Hope. At every campus, hundreds and hundreds and thousands of world changers in this movement. We no longer call them volunteers. Because I don't care if you're in the parking lot helping people park. You're at a door opening a door. You're serving in student ministry, pouring into our adolescents. Or you're in Hopetown loving our precious little children. Watch this. Or you're in the nursery changing a stinking diaper. You're not a volunteer. You're a world changer. Because you're doing that, adults and parents are getting in to experience the gospel. And because they're experiencing the gospel and being taught the truth, they're going home and raising that little child in the way of the Lord. Do you see it? So here, here's how we change the world, church. Every single one of us, no exceptions. We have people in our spheres of influence. We're caring for their eternal destiny. We're caring for their souls. We're caring for their life, not only in eternity, but here and now. And come on, people need Jesus. People need Jesus. So we're loving people wherever we go, across social lines, ethnic lines, theological lines, cultural lines. We just love people. And then we invite them to New Hope Church. And then when they come, because there's world changers serving all over the place, and because God is faithful, the Spirit of God moves from the parking lot into our campuses. And the Word of God is preached. And people see worship. And they know the state of their own needs. And they surrender their lives to the gospel. And they're changed. And guess what? They then go out. And guess what they do? They reach, teach, and release because they're living on point and they're investing and inviting and then they serve as world changers and the movement, come on, the movement just grows and grows and grows and we change the world. Can I read you an email in closing that brings it all together? Can I read you a story, a life change story that happened 
just last weekend at our Garner campus. Watch this. Today at church, March 10, 2019, my husband and I were thrilled to have friends of ours attend as well. The couple has not been churched for about 10 years, and they have three children. Upon walking up, they were greeted with a huge smile and an introduction and a hug from our campus pastor, and I'm going to let you know who he is, Derek Mole, Garner Campus. Then our campus, then our children's pastor, I'm going to let you know who she is, Pam Watson, greeted them and met all of the children and gave the parents a tour of Hopetown. Once in the service, they were warmly greeted by First Contact and enjoyed a wonderful service. I wanted to share this with you mostly to let you know about what happened after church. After the service, the worship pastor, i.e. Caleb Taylor, approached my husband and had a conversation with him and also introduced himself to our friends. We went out to eat after and asked them what they thought. My friend looked at me and with tears in her eyes said, I feel like we just hung out with long lost friends. I didn't know what to say. She was shocked. I was shocked. She was more shocked that the campus pastor was the one hugging necks and greeting people. She was shocked that the worship pastor stepped off the stage and into community and spoke with us. She said normally the pastor is hidden and the worship team disappears after the service. Last paragraph. She was thrilled with how happy her children were with the Hopetown team. And then she says this. This is a faithful new hoper at the Garner campus, Beth Scott. She says this. This is what the church looks like firing on all cylinders. This is the exact goal of new hope. I am so thankful to be a part of an amazing church family I had to share Beth Scott Garner campus. Do you see it? This is how we change the world. This is the beauty of the church. And this is what Jesus invites you into, just like he did the Samaritan woman invites you into the greatest, most eternal hide-and-seek mission the world has ever known. And the way you do that is you care for people, you invest and invite, and you join us at a campus serving to change the world. Father, I give you thanks for your son, Jesus. God, I give you thanks for an amazing passage of scripture that just cracks open for us, oh God, and shows us exactly what it looks like to live life on mission. Father, would you move mightily in our midst right now?
God, there are people at all of our campuses. There are people online, Lord God, who are thinking about getting in a car next week and coming to a campus. Would your Holy Spirit spur us on? Would you challenge us? As I spoke about a few weeks ago, God, not footprints in the sand, but butt prints in the sand. Would you challenge us to get off our rear ends and join this beautiful Samaritan woman who was wrecked and redeemed. And may we change the world to give you all the glory and the honor. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.